Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen, if you dare. <laughs> a member of the Ojibwe nation in what is now Canada and parts of the U.S. before the Europeans arrived. You're sitting by the fire at night, listening to the elders tell stories. They tell of a creature called the Wendigo. It's an evil creature that looks gaunt and starving, all skin and bones. It's decaying like a corpse. It reeks of the stench of death. Its appetite for human flesh is insatiable. The more it eats, the more it wants, and it can never be full. If it finds you, it will either tear you apart on the spot and eat you, or possess you. Then you will become such a creature, always hungering for human flesh, but never satisfied. You shiver at the tail. Behind you, the bushes rustle. You scream. I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert on all things monster and paranormal. I'm a horror writer from the dark, haunted swamps of Louisiana, and it's my pleasure to welcome you into my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, A Punk Rock Vampire Story, which is volume one of the Gravediggers series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of dark, evil, nasty creatures. It's horror and comedy in one super entertaining series. It's a six-part series. Volumes one through three are out. Volume four is coming out any day now, so be sure to read the first three so you'll be up to date. The Wendigo. Have you heard of this creature? It's an evil spirit or evil creature in the lore of indigenous Americans, specifically the groups who spoke the Algonquian language group. And that language group, by the way, is is 3,000 years old. Wow. These people lived in what are now eastern Canada and several different spots in what is now the U.S. It includes such people, uh, such people, such groups as the Blackfoot, the Cheyenne, the Cree, the Ojibwe, the Shawnee, the Miami, or Miami, the Mi'kmaq, many others. The Wendigo had two main descriptions, two main types, I guess, of Wendigo that varied by the people telling the stories. First, here is how an Ojibwe man named Basil H. Johnson, who's a teacher, describes it. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets, the Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering some, from superation of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. End quote. Another version describes the Wendigo as a giant creature. And here's why it's a giant. Every time it eats a human flesh meal, <laughs> its own body grows by that much. So it's never full, never satisfied. It forever remains hungry. And in most versions, the Wendigo can speak and think, uh, think and act like a human. It uses its words like to tempt and to taunt, 
to lure people. I'm going to now read you an account of a Chippewa folktale recorded by the folklorist Lati Chikokwa Marsden around 1918. It says, One time long ago, a big Wendigo stole an Indian boy, but the boy was too thin, so the Wendigo didn't eat him up right away, but he traveled with the Indian boy, waiting for him till he'd get fat. The Wendigo had a knife, and he'd cut the boy on the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat, but the boy didn't get fat. They traveled too much. One day they came to an Indian village, and the Wendigo sent the boy to the Indian village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to go there and back. The boy told the Indians that the Wendigo was near them and showed them his hand where the Wendigo cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling the boy. He said to the boy, Hurry up! Don't tell lies to those Indians. All of these Indians went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. They went back again to see if he was dead. He wasn't dead. He was eating the marrow from the inside of the bones of his legs that were cut off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on them. He said, You bet there is. I've eaten lots of Indians. No wonder they're fat. The Indians then killed him and cut him to pieces. The end of this giant Wendigo. End quote. So that's just a folk tale that's, uh, that this folklorist heard. So apparently a Wendigo can be killed by humans, even though it's supernatural, but notice that it required a group of men to kill it. So how does a person become a Wendigo? Three main ways. First, if a person is excessively greedy and stingy, they can turn into a Wendigo. Second, if a person eats human flesh, you know, practices cannibalism, they can become a Wendigo. And then third... The Wendigo can possess a human and make it like himself, or like itself. Now, before we examine the meaning of the Wendigo lore, I want to give you an account by a Jesuit missionary in the New World. I'm not sure of his name, but this comes from a a Jesuit uh, uh, book. It's translated from the French. It says, and it's talking about, uh, you know, a real person who is traveling in the New World. It says, what caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake Namely, that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, And as death is the sole remedy among these people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness, end quote. All right, so there's an historical account of Wendigo incident. There's a psychological concept, uh, there was, I don't know how much it's, it's, uh, you know, believed anymore, but called Wendigo psychosis, where uh, a person is overcome with a great desire and hunger for human flesh. Is it a psychological illness or a case of a really a person really being possessed by a Wendigo? What do you think? Here's another real historical Wendigo story that supposedly illustrates Wendigo psychosis. Uh, during the winter of 1878, there was an Indian man named Swift Runner. 
he and his family were starving to death, and his oldest son died, presumably of starvation. They were a long way away from food supplies uh, at a Hudson Bay Company post. What did Swift Runner do? Well, <laughs> he butchered and ate his wife and his children. And given that he was a cannibal, yet not that far, I suppose, it's 25 miles from food supplies, I guess it could have been trekkable. He killed and ate his family, and so it was believed that he was a Wendigo. Eventually, he was tried, uh, found guilty, and executed of, of murder and cannibalism. Here's another one. <clears throat> another well-known uh, case of Wendigo. A man named Jack Fiddler, who was a chief of the Oji Cree people. He was also a medicine man, and what he was known for, was famous for, was actually defeating, killing Wendigos. And in some cases, this entailed, you know, killing people, obviously, who he believed were possessed with by a Wendigo. And so in 1907, he was arrested along with his brother. Uh, the Canadians arrested them. Uh, looks like uh, he committed suicide. His brother, though, was uh, convicted, sentenced to life in prison. So another case of possible Wendigo action. <laughs> You know, many American indigenous people in the past and still today believe firmly in the Wendigo as a real and, you know, literal supernatural uh, creature. Well, if the Wendigo's real or if it's just a cultural myth, what does it mean? If you listen to this podcast at all, you know that I don't believe that monster lore and legend just springs out of nowhere for no reason. I think all of it has meaning to human beings, to culture, to our society, to the human condition. Now, in order to explain the Wendigo myth, and this can be true whether it's real, supernatural, or just the lore, um, we can begin by understanding that Indian society was communal, very communal. In you know, that's in stark contrast to the European uh, culture, Europeans who arrived in the New World, very individualistic. In a communal culture, one's group, you know, your group, uh, often the family, then the village, is more important than the individual. Any Star Trek fans remember the movie where Spock gave himself for the rest of the crew. He said the good of the many outweighs the good of the few, or the good of the one. In communal culture, your group is more important than the individual. In individualistic countries, the individual and the rights of the individual often are placed even above the group. Now, I myself lived in China for many years, mainland China. China is a very communal society, so I think I have a little understanding of this. In China, the family is the primary social unit. Definitely the good of the whole family is more important than the good or the wants of any individual within that family. India is very similar. I saw that every day. So in times of hardship, Indians always, American Indians always came together and shared everything. Even in normal times, they shared their resources. When they hunted, they only killed what they needed. They used every part of the animal. They didn't waste things, but they shared what they had, even in abundance. They were, in fact, shocked by the Europeans. <laughs> in, in times of leanness or, or drought or starvation, Indian villages came together. They shared everything they had with everyone, and, and the more people survived. But there are quotes by Indians who couldn't believe the white villages. They said that one man you know, has more than he could ever use in a hundred lifetimes, and next door, a man's starving. They couldn't conceive of that, hoarding this, this food and, and resources while others in your village go without. They couldn't, couldn't understand that. Well, 
<clears throat> Indians, of course, they're human beings, so they were tempted with hoarding and greediness, just like all of us are. And then think about when you're starving. I don't know, you know, I would imagine that most of my listeners, including me, have never been in a position where we haven't eaten, you know, for a week or two, have no idea where the next meal's coming from or if it will come. But uh, I know that when people are in that position, they do things they would never normally do. You know, uh, your animal nature kind of kicks over, and that includes cannibalism. You know, the famous Donner Party, uh, they, they, you know, were starving and they ate the dead. Well, you know, we, all, we tend to resort to our more animal nature at, at those times in starvation. It's kind of the human condition, right? We try to be human, but when it comes down to it, man... That starvation will drive a person to do all sorts of things. So the Wendigo could be a moral lesson about greed and hoarding, or even against cannibalism in times of hunger, to warn the people, you know, don't resort to cannibalism in times of hunger, and don't be greedy, share what you have. In other words, the Wendigo is greedy, but the more it takes and the more it eats, the more starving and miserable it becomes. Likewise, a human who is greedy, who steals, who hoards, who doesn't share, you know, who's miserly, they can gain more and more wealth, but they'll be starving inside, starving for happiness, starving for peace. Even though the Wendigo lore existed before the European invaders, it's also seen by some Indians as a metaphor for the greed and destruction of the Europeans, or just in general, any nation you know, that violently destroys and consumes another nation. You know, I can't help but think about the modern USA. We're such a consumer society. We have all sorts of technology and gadgets and toys. We have ample access to food. Instead of struggling to find enough to eat, which is what most humans throughout human history did, we actually have too much food. We throw food away. You know, we become... Uh, obesity is, an, is a problem for us. Not starving, but obesity. We have health problems because of how much food we have. We buy a new iPhone every year. We have new cars, new toys. Now, don't get me wrong. There are very poor people in the U.S. I could take you on a drive through rural Louisiana, my native Louisiana, I could show you people who live in, you know, crumbling wooden shacks without electricity. That exists here, believe it or not. My mom lived very, very poor for a while growing up. But, you know, overall in the U.S., so much of, so many of us have so much, but we're never satisfied. And I'm not, I'm not excluding myself. I just got an iPhone 13. My iPhone 6 had stopped working. You know, I love the 13. It's amazing. But when the 14 comes out, I already know I'm going to envy it. I'm going to desire it. You know, that's that's human greed. It's plain greed. So maybe there's a little Wendigo in all of us. The more we allow greed to consume us, the emptier we become inside. What do you think? Can you relate to that? The more we get, the more we want. The more we want, the less satisfied we become. And we become empty inside. The Buddha uh, taught that misery and suffering in life is caused by desire by wanting things we don't have. And his solution was to stop wanting things, <laughs> come to a place where you stop, where you take away that desire, and then you'll find you know, happiness, nirvana. Well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe the Wendigo is a little bit Buddhist in a sense. What do you think? Is the Wendigo real? Is it symbolic, or does that even matter? Is it a symbol of greed, of lust, of insatiable hunger, can never be satisfied? The more you get, the more you want. Perhaps we could learn to be a little more sharing and satisfied with what we have because so many of us have so much. If you check out this podcast on YouTube, I'd love to hear from you in the comments. And tonight, 
if you feel a gnawing hunger and your friend's arm starts to look really tasty, well, you might just be a Wendigo. Thanks for listening and sleep well, if you can. (laughs) 